I think life vision is really about taking that big step back and reflecting on what are the things that really are going to matter to me. Now, you can break that up into personal and professional, but I will tell you that if you envision yourself lying on your deathbed right now, looking back on your life, you're probably not really going to care about those professional things, maybe a little bit, but not that much. You're really going to care more about those personal things. Hi, I am Sophie Vaux, and this is the Rise and Play podcast. In the show, I sit down with influential thought leaders of the gaming industry to deconstruct how they create the best team and company cultures in order to create the best games. Every episode brings actionable insight to improve your leadership, self-awareness, and emotional management skills. Because becoming a better leader starts with becoming a better human. So, are you ready to unlock your full potential in life and business? Let's begin. Raise up your game development with a new podcast sponsor, Game Refinery. Having been the user myself, what I like about Game Refinery's tool is that it helps game developers take a more data-driven approach to adding features, metas, and live events to their mobile games at any stage of development, from new game development to growing the current portfolio of games. And what makes Game Refinery differ from a traditional market research tool is that its team of game analysts play and deconstruct the best-in-class mobile games on an ongoing basis, across 50 genres, hundreds of features, and thousands of live events. The data insights provided are actionable because they are based on data collected by real humans and not bots. And you will save a lot of time browsing through a database of almost 100,000 screenshot implementation that you can collect and share with your teammates. So want to learn more about how game developers like Zynga, Funplus, Rovio, Garena, and King use Game Refinery to build better games with leaner teams? Go to info.gamerefinery.com slash riseandplay to sign up for free access or to request a demo. Or just check out the link in the podcast episode notes. So today I'm super happy to have Tom Hammond with me again on the podcast. So maybe for the ones who remembered, he was among the very first guests on the podcast of Rise and Play on the first season. And I wanted to invite him again for the third season here on different topics. So in the past, we discussed more about his journey as an entrepreneur and building his podcast, Mastering Retention, that has been also growing and very successful in the space. But in the context of our podcast episode today, we decided with Tom to get together and discuss coaching topics and one that is very hard around life visions and how do you design one or how do you even find clarity. Tom, hey, how are you today? Hi, how's it going? I am so good, Sophie. It's so exciting, so fun to be here. Yeah, so you're a, a regular now. <laughs> and for the ones yeah, who don't know about you, do you mind giving a quick intro about you know who you are? Sure. Yeah. You know, I would say I'm probably a bit of a, a serial entrepreneur. These days, I'm mostly focused on my company called UserWise, building live ops tools and stuff. But gaming has been so awesome to me, both personally and professionally. And so we try to give back as much as possible with that endeavor. And we're lucky enough to be bootstrapped and profitable so that we can kind of take our time and do this kind of thing. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, you have a lot also going on. And I think that's also what I would like to talk about today, where not only, well, it's a second company, so you've been building several companies. You have also uh, 
I believe, active personal life with family and also the podcast and the whole community as well that you've built around the UserWise Academy. Before we start and discuss about life vision as a topic, I was more interested as well to get a bit of a context of this reflection when we can have around life vision, which is a topic that you touch in coaching. So I was curious, have you had coaches? Have you been coached yourself? Yeah, I've worked with professional coaches for several years. And then I've done some non-paid coaching, usually a little bit more short-term, usually when I see someone just like working excessive amounts, sometimes we work together to take a step back and try to figure out what are the important things? What are the big time-consuming things that I'm doing right now that's actually ultimately adding very little value? And how do I kind of resync my, my daily life so that when I look back 10, 20 years from now, I'm actually going to feel happy about what I was doing? Hmm. I don't know that I would recommend that you work with me as a coach. <laughs> the professional ones are probably far better, but yeah, I, I've done a little bit. Yeah. And I can share as well, uh, from my own experience, I've been a coach for several years now and by different people, different style for different uh, phase. I can recognize that you learn a lot actually by receiving first and some tools that could be also helpful in your own um, practice, you know, as a team lead, a CEO or any position of leadership, you know, when you need to have a conversation and explore a bit further problems or pain points with your reports or teammates uh, or a peer in the industry. Yeah. Let's begin then directly with the topic of life vision. I know it sounds a bit mystical when I say this, and sometimes, you know, when I bring this topic of life vision, people look at me with big eyes. I remember with my teams, like, <laughs> just asking the question, like, what are you asking, Sophie? What life vision? So let's take a step back before we get in the topic more about where we are when we think about life vision. And I'd like to hear your own definition of it. What does it cover? And why is it a topic even for you these days? I think that life vision really gets to this general idea that there's a whole much more to life than work. Mm -hmm. There's a whole lot more to life than Instagram or YouTube or all of these things that today we seem to be just so inundated and constantly busy with. And I think life vision is really about taking that big step back and reflecting on what are the things that really are going to matter to me? Now, you can break that up into personal and professional, but I will tell you that if you envision yourself lying on your deathbed right now, looking back on your life, you're probably not really going to care about those professional things, maybe a little bit, but not that much. You're really going to care more about those personal things, faith, family, friends, fitness, maybe finance. Finance kind of ties into family. And I think when you look at it from that perspective, you can take a look at the things that you're doing each day. And I can honestly tell you that everyone is probably doing things that they know they probably shouldn't be doing or they're doing too much of something. And if you really looked back and you continue to do that, you're probably going to have some regrets about that. But on the flip side, there's probably some things that you know that you probably should be doing, but you're not. And you're going to regret that in the future. So for me, I think life vision is really just being able to take that step back. And I personally have to do this like every six months because it's easy to fall into bad habits mm -hmm. and say, okay, I know where I really want to go. So let's change some of this day-to-day -day stuff so that I can actually get there and not have those regrets or whatnot. Yeah. And you have established some... Uh 
tools and routines around that. We'll get back to this a, a bit later. I wonder what made you realize that you should take a step back. Was there any triggering event in your life that really you, you told yourself, oh, I really need to take a step back or I'm going to hit a wall? I think there's probably been a series of events. I do remember one particular instance, I would say kind of midway through founding Theorem Reach that there was a number of failed startups before that. So Theorem, which was the first successful one, but we pretty much just the three founders kind of bootstrapped that for the long time. And so even though we are founders, we are still very heavily into doing. And previous before that, when I was working at a large company, I very much had this mantra of work of like, hey, if I don't answer 200 emails per day or do all these different tasks and things, like I don't feel like I'm accomplished or whatnot. And as the team started to grow, I still kind of had this mantra of, oh, work is just like doing things. Mm -hmm. And I got some pretty hard feedback from some employees and co-founders and stuff that was like, Tom, you're not doing the things that we really need you to do. I don't know where you're spending your time, but you're not accomplishing these big things that we need to be accomplished. And luckily I had a coach at the time, but we went back through and kind of evaluated what are the two or three most important things that I can be spending my time on and doing? Mm. Uh, this is on the professional side to actually accomplish and move stuff forward. And I tell you what, I just stopped doing a lot of stuff and I felt like all this stuff was falling through the cracks and I was doing a terrible job. But suddenly I started getting all this amazing feedback from the team and the company was moving forward even faster because I was just doing those two or three like most important things. And I felt like a lazy laggard, like <laughs> not working at all. Like, I'm like, what am I even doing? And it was a very hard transition for me. And I even still sometimes will struggle with feelings like that. But then I think beyond that, I started to reflect, what's this in like my personal life? Does it carry over? And so I started doing that there as well. And so for me, it's kind of, how do I find the right balance in both of those things? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. When, uh, you're losing, uh, you know, control and everything is not working. I think something important is you had, a a good mirror who's called a coach to mirror back to you what's happening, right? Because when you're in it, it's really hard to notice it yourself until you really crash hard and hit the bottom, which is not a desirable, I would say, situation. But sometimes you have to reach that far to realize that, okay, need help and need to uh, rethink your strategy or how you approach life. I think there's a difference between a coach and a mentor. Mm -hmm. When you have a mentor, that's someone that might tell you what to do. But I think if you have a good coach or someone's acting as a coach, they shouldn't actually tell you what to do. Mm -hmm. Rather, they should ask questions and just keep kind of probing you until you get down to the deep insight and you come to it yourself. That tends to be what I've seen is the best way to actually elicit change you kind of have to be the one that comes to that conclusion before you can truly embrace that change or choice in your life. Yeah. Sometimes it's almost a bit uncomfortable because you talked so much and then someone is listening and then you say, <laughs> <laughs> am I not bothering this person? But uh, that's the magic of, of this, right? So it's like realizing things as you talk out, you know, about your own thoughts. Although friends and family love you very much, uh, nobody has uh, wants to listen to you for one hour <laughs> without saying something. I think that's also what coaching sessions offer. And I wanted also to share on my end, because we're reflecting on what kind of events start to make you think, okay, maybe it's time to look at what do I want in life and what, what are my priorities? For me, I think I was in Finland when I moved to Rovio. It was six years ago, I think. 
I moved really for not very deep reasons. I'm not saying it was not thoughtful, but it was like a script a bit like, okay, I will get you the next job. I'm interested in the country. I was with my ex-boyfriend at the time and he wanted to move out of Berlin. So it was really like very uh, shallow reasons. And personally, it didn't work out. I didn't really integrate in Finland on my first year. I really hit a wall where I was, okay, I'm here by myself. I don't really have friends in Finland. It was all around the relationship when we moved together. Mm-hmm. And then there's the work. And then it was a realization in my life is either defined by romantic relationship or by my work. So I couldn't even decide, do I stay in Finland? Do I move back to France? Probably also go to my family, which would have been a personal failure to me. I really took the time to think, okay, what are my priorities? Thinking about values, uh, how do I make decisions? And really looking back, I looked more into my history, understand why I made those decisions and finding common patterns to understand even myself and not go into the next thing. I didn't want to change countries or jobs every two, three years because I lack of clarity. So that was a decision with myself. I want to change this and I I will learn, I will get help, I will try to practice it. And it's been six years and since then it's been even clearer and clearer. So that was the event for me. We know about the benefits of reflecting, thinking about it. But I found actually, even like for leaders, founders, a lot of people not really thinking about those things. And sometimes I see even resistance. What has been your experience there? And why do you think it's still kind of a bit of a hoo-hoo idea when you talk about life and vision and think about it among leaders? It's like at one point in time, we as humans tended to think in longer time frames, but as things get to be easier and easier and faster and faster, we just kind of become programmed to expect things to happen in a much faster time frame. So we want this instantaneous results because I'm used to being able to pop open Amazon and buy exactly the thing that I want in like one click. <laughs> Even when I'm talking to potential founders or founders of a company, it used to be that when you built a company, you were thinking not just in months or years, but decades and how do I make this thing last for hundreds of years beyond even me? Nowadays, it seems like founders are thinking and like pour on all this venture capital cash and scale something up crazy and then just go for like an exit in just like a couple of years. It's just like, well, I'll do this thing right now and then I'll do this next thing, you know, when I want to do it. And you don't really think about this blended life of what are all the pieces that you want to be happening in your life Mm -hmm. and then designing your life so that you actually have time to do those things that you want to do. For sure. I mean, we are all a bit in this hamster wheel, you know, where how do you measure success? But I I would say it's quite common uh, in uh, those conversations where everyone is kind of chasing the same thing and then not questioning is like, is it really my dream or am I here, you know, in this race with everyone? And something else I was reflecting on, what could be the origins, a bit of resistance, because I like to think about really a lot of conscious leadership where you take a step back, like you said, doing less, fewer things, even like not doing anything to give some space to think well. We are in a society and culture of high productivity. And the other thing I found also through uh, my own coaching discussion as a CEO leader, I don't know if it's men only, but where we're really not used to introspect 
connect with deeper things or what they want. We have the same as well, women on different conversation, like family, you know, and, you know, all those dreams that we are sold by uh, culture and society. But for men, it's like succeeding in a company. It was really hard, actually, in those conversations for people. Like when I was giving just more exercise, like, I don't know, draw your timeline, uh, maybe try to put things in categories. And instead of maybe for a week of work, sometimes it took a month and it was delayed, 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 avoiding the conversation because it was such a resistance. You know, it's like two hearts. It's like the hard things. I don't know if you can relate to this or you have experienced this in your as well surroundings. If you could maybe give more uh, context as a man as well with your own experience. Because I have experienced it, of course, more as a witness in those conversations. You know, this almost touches on a topic that I was kind of talking about with my wife uh, like a, a week or two ago. And I imagine that this is something that a lot of women feel. But again, as I'm not a woman, I can't say for sure. <laughs> so she has a photography business, which actually works well because once I'm done with my stuff, most people want to take photographs on nights and weekends and stuff. But she right now is just feeling this pressure. I mean, I don't know if it's societal or whatnot to like feel like she should stay home and take care of the children or like, should she be thinking about having more children? And mm -hmm. she was voicing that as a woman, there really is a ticking clock for me because the older that I get waiting to have a child or whatnot, I feel like I'm potentially putting them at risk because there's more things that can go wrong. And so she's just kind of like feeling this pressure there and I thought that was a perspective I hadn't really considered that much, but I think women very much do have that. And I don't think that it's fair to say you can't have a family and a career because I think you should be able to do that. Mm -hmm. But being able to balance that effectively, I think can definitely be a challenge, especially depending probably at the company that you're working at, <laughs> what sort of support and things they have for that. But mm -hmm. for a lot of people, both male and females, when you look back on your life and the things that you care the most about, it tends to be children and grandchildren. Mm -hmm. and that's not the case for everyone. I don't think you need to have kids. But I do know that for a lot of people, when they look back, they have those things. And so that can definitely be conflicting of like, well, how do I balance this timing and stuff, especially maybe I want to be a doctor. So at least in the US, doctor training, you graduate college at 22, and you could be another almost 10 years through med school and residency and fellowship and stuff before you're even like just starting your career. And then do you try to have children at the same point or do you want to work a few years before you do that? And so mm -hmm. you have lots of conflicts there. I think there's just things that you have to think about and really prioritize. That's why I say having that high level vision of where you're at it's so easy, at least for me, to get sucked into the day-to-day -day actions. And before I know it, like a year has passed. Mm -hmm. I think you just need to make sure that the things that you're doing with your time are actually valuable and the things that you really want to be doing. Yeah, I can understand maybe why those questions can be quite triggering because when you start to look at your life and the choices, you may start to see things that you don't like to see. So, you know, like decisions you've made that are not so aligned with your priorities because they were not brought to light, but also future decisions that you have to make that are not easy, right? So, for example, yeah, if you want to start to build a family, what does that mean? It's not to say that you cannot have career, but it has implications or how do you prioritize and reflect the use of your time yeah. based on those priorities? Yeah. So like for my wife, it's like, you know, if I take on more jobs while I'm away more on the weekends and I don't get to have this fun family time. So 
what's the right amount of balance for me both now and maybe in the future? And do I wait a little bit to execute on this career thing or do I build it up now? Let's take a short break to hear a few words from our sponsor who are making this episode possible. In today's challenging mobile game market, the most successful games grow and retain players by continuously adding new features, metas, and live events. Game Refineries 2 lets you scale up your collection and analysis of the best practices behind the most successful games today without building out a big team to do so, so you can spend less time playing your competitors' games and more time improving your own. You already use data to optimize your UI and monetization. Now use the data-driven approach to game production whether you are developing new games or growing existing ones. Go to info.gamerefinery.com slash riseandplay to sign up for free access or to request a demo. Or check out the link in the podcast episode notes. Now, let's get back to our conversation. And let's get then more into the topic here of live vision. What tools uh, have helped you and uh, where do you start? I like to do a kind of one-page personal plan and you can Google, there's some formats of how you do that. But generally, I see it broken down to those five Fs that I kind of called out before, faith. So for me, as a Christian, there's some things related to faith that are important to me and my family. Family, most people have parents or children or significant others, usually somebody important in your life. Friends, what sort of relationships do you want to have with friends? If you don't make time for your friends, those relationships may stagnate or disappear or whatnot. Fitness. So I think that goes into sleeping habits, diet habits. Do you work out? Do you take care of yourself? And then the last one is finance, which is what are those financial goals? Am I being wise with my money? Am I saving my money as I should be, et cetera? Kind of in each of those, you can do breakdowns of stuff. And I think on some of those forums that you'll find on the internet, they'll say like faith you should think about in a like 30 year time frame because it's kind of a high level thing. Wow. Family, I think you think about in like a five to 10 year type time frame. And then like the last three, like finances, fitness, those ones tend to be more of like a 30 day time frame because mm. finance could be like, okay, I need to stop eating out so much because I'm being irresponsible with my money or, you know, whatever. Mm. So you can kind of break down. Usually there's like, I should start doing this thing and stop doing this thing and maybe keep doing this thing. And I think that's just a great way that you can start. Another exercise that I really like to have people do is to write down your most ideal day. Mm. So what is the moment that you wake up and what are you doing maybe like every 15 minutes? So this goes into your personal morning before work. What happens at work? What do you want your actual work day to be? You know, like what would you be doing? Every 15 minutes through the full workday, when does work actually end? What do you do after work? When do you have dinner? Whatever. When do you go to bed? And then you go through and you write down, what does your actual typical day look like? And you get to compare the two oh. to see, okay, this is my most perfect day. And this is what's actually happening. So now I need to try to figure out how can I make these much more alike? Generally, the biggest thing that I find with most people their perfect day is just about zero meetings so that they just have time to deep work. And so then they have to go back to their teams and try to figure out how do I get more of this deep working time or can I get rid of these meetings or mm. can I block all of my meetings just to happen in the morning so I can at least do that in the afternoon or things like that from work perspective. And then 
you'll often find a lot of things related to either like neglecting the gym or staying up too late watching shows, which makes it hard to get up at the time that you want to do. So you can't do something in the morning. So some of those things are a little bit easier to figure out and execute on if you really want to. But the people that I've gone through this exercise with, and I know I did it myself too, have generally found that it makes for a much more enjoyable experience because the day that you're living is closer to the day that you want it to be versus what you feel like you have right now. I think the hardest part is also how to incorporate it in your routine and your life that hasn't even integrated yet that you have to dedicate some time, make a priority of reflecting, right? So how does it work for you? How is it built in your routine? My wife and I usually do like a weekly date night and we do that on Wednesdays because It's the same reason I go to the gym in the morning. If I don't work out in the morning, like at one point in time, I tried working out at night, mm -hmm. but there was just so many variable things that could happen in like the afternoon or the evening that more often than not, I would end up missing it. Now, because I get up before anybody else, nobody can really interrupt my day and affect that thing. <laughs> at one point in time, we tried doing a date night uh, on Friday, Saturday, but we often were going places or people were visiting us or something was going on and then that would get canceled. So we wanted to make it a priority. So we picked Wednesday. We really didn't have anything going on Wednesday, and now we consistently have date night. But about once a month, we do a special date night where we switch off with a couple. They watch our kids, and the next week we watch their kids. Ah. We can actually go out and like deeply connect. And when we're deeply connecting and talking, usually just hiking around or, or doing something, we get a good refresh sense. So we can kind of ask, how are things going And we get into personal and professional and kind of get that like nice, healthy reset. Wow. I found for me that that one kind of every month is a good cadence. If I wait till like the six month point, I usually have a tendency to have maybe fallen back into some of those things that I wanted to stop doing because those are our default settings until we can get past them. Mm -hmm. But it's really about what works for you. Yeah, a great example. And I think, again, like building the system and routine by my own experience works because once you have committed to make a change, it's not because you want that you will, right? <laughs> But how do you incorporate in your routine, in your system? For me, calendar kind of dictates my time and uh, my priorities. And so, for example, when I decided that it is important, then I plan it in the calendar and it's done and it's a commitment, right? So that's my system. And same, you know, uh, I do every six months value revision and all the questions like around life. And it's a reminder in my calendar. I don't have to think about it. It's my extended brain. Google Calendar handles it for me. And then when you are in that time, then you, you will do it, right? So uh, first build the routine on when you will do this exercise at which frequency and what would be the outcome, right? So it's not just about writing things, but Uh, what are the decisions you make? I realize it's really a commitment when you really want to take a step back and reflect changes in your life to serve more in the long term uh, your purpose, right? So something that I also do with my business coach or personal coach, and he does a little bit of both, but at the end of every session, he says, what is your homework? Mm -hmm. And we've usually talked about several subjects. So he's asked a lot of questions and there's usually some conclusions that I've come to. And so then he kind of turns to me to say, okay, well, what are you going to do to act on that thing that you uncovered? And that becomes my homework assignment. And then in two weeks when we meet again, he asked me about my homework mm -hmm. and I am accountable to either be like, I just didn't do that, which doesn't feel very good. 
or I had to actually go through and execute on those things and do the things that I said I was going to do which helps me move forward. It's another, uh, I will call it a hack, but having a coach creates another layer of accountability indeed, where you know you, you can fail with yourself and only you will know, right? But not committing or following through your uh, words to someone else is much harder. I would recommend anybody to have a coach, but I, I know like some people, it takes steps to get there. It creates accountability and also creates this routine, right? Because you have a call monthly, bi-weekly, whatever. And then you know that you will have to look into those. And so you are kind of outsourcing, not the work, but the reminder of having to work on it. I wanted also to share some uh, tools I've been using. So a bit the same, actually, as 5F. Actually, it's quite easy to remember. But for me, it was uh, exactly at that time when I was in Finland and uh, trying to find a new direction to my life. I was really lost. I was like, where is the playbook of life where do you start you know when you are like in your young adult life but you know not teenager but not super old and thankfully I got assisted by a coach and he gave me five categories I think as well so one was on the level of relationship friendships uh, second was family then one was the work one was romantic but he said right now it's not really happening for you so maybe you can discard that one and uh, last was personal development and hobbies and everything. And he said, those five categories are equally important. What are you doing each week in each of those to progress on those? And I, I realized a lot was around the work and I was, oh, oh <laughs> trouble. And this is where I realized, actually, I set myself some goals and it was with a coach. Every week, I'll do something new in each of those categories until it became part of myself, right? So I was trying new activities, new hobbies. In the past, I didn't have any personal hobbies. I was working, working, working all the time or trying to uh, be in a romantic relationship. And all the rest was really not thought through. So that was very helpful. And another tool as well that I've discussed with a coach is uh, drawing your timeline to understand even where my values were, where I don't know my future choices, but I can examine my past choices mm. and do they make sense to me? Do they feel true? And so what I was doing in an Excel sheet, so that's the project manager part of myself, <laughs> always going through uh, since I was born until the age I was like 32 and like the positive and negative of each year and the highlights and what did I learn? What went well? What didn't go well? Like a mini ritual. And then I started to see passion and then I realized what was important for me, how I moved to another company or how I decided to move countries. And this is how I frame some values around growth mindset or uh, playfulness that were very key and repeating patterns. And I do this every six months as well, where I look at the past six months and see the biggest events and which one served me and which one I have to let go. Anything to uh, add more on the other coaching tools that you would see helpful for someone starting? Yeah, accountability is a really good one. Telling someone that you're going to do something, building it into your calendar or into your schedule is good. I also think from my experience of trying and failing on numerous different things, an example was like when I wanted to start trying to get into shape again, going to the gym. I tried a number of different things. One, I started going with a buddy to the gym, but then he ended up kind of flaking out on me on certain days and then I wouldn't go because uh, he didn't want to go. Then I tried doing the afternoon. Sometimes things would get up and it wasn't until I eventually figured out it's something I have to do. I have to do it in the morning. This is how it gets done. Now, different people can do it different ways, but I think 
you have to decide that you're going to do this thing and then find a time when it can actually be a priority and that it won't be overwritten by something that pops up. Let's say I want to read more. Okay. When can you actually read more consistently? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's waking up a little bit earlier to like read in bed. Yeah. But when can you do that consistently without getting interrupted? Because I think once you do that long enough, it can kind of become the habit. But in the early few weeks, it's very fragile. And if it gets interrupted a lot, you're most likely to revert back to where you are right now. Yeah. And again, the power of building habits. Repetition is important until it's part of you. And something I wanted to reflect on that you have mentioned at the beginning, and I think it's a very powerful uh, thought to be dark, but actually it's very helpful when we think of uh, our mortality, right? There's a book that inspired me a lot, a very short book from uh, Clayton Christensen. I don't know if you've read it. How will you measure your life? Very short book. And he died, uh, I think, two years ago. It came down to really thinking about if you knew you had to die tomorrow, what is it that you would wish, you know, that you could tell? And he said, like, building fortune, successes, making money didn't bring any of those fulfillments. And at the end, at the very end, the things that brought him joy was really teaching, sharing, giving back to uh, the world and others. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I'd like to read also pieces of wisdom from philosophers and other entrepreneurs where when you remember of your mortality or you have experienced it near you, you know, from people that you care about, it just reminds you that you don't know what happens. And I think it accelerates the creation of those priorities because those moments you wish to have with your family, the people you love, they may be gone tomorrow, right? I think also COVID may have, I hope, brought those thoughts more to people to just make different life decisions. But yeah, I wonder if you had anything to add to, you know, this mortality thought and how helpful it is for you to think of it once in a while. Yeah, I think Steve Jobs said something very similar to when he was on his deathbed. You actually reminded me of something, and I don't know the exact quote, but there was a writer, I don't remember if it was a guy or a gal, but they wanted to study how do billionaires think about things different than maybe like a a regular person, so to speak. Mm -hmm. One of the things that they found is these billionaires they tend to be very much realists and they get down to the minute details and they think about them specifically. And so the example that they said was the billionaire asked them a question. And I think the writer was maybe like 45 or so. And they said, how old are your parents? And I think their parents at the time were in their mid seventies. And so the billionaire said, well, how often do you see your parents? And they kind of said, well, you know, try to make like a trip down there to see them, you know, once a year. And then billionaire goes, so realistically, you're probably only going to see your mom and your dad for about six more times before they die. Hmm. And a lot of people don't think about things that way. It's very (laughs) kind of eye opening. Hmm. Like if I cognitively think about time with my children, maybe I don't want to go to the playground with them right now. But how much actual time do I get like hours in the day that they're not napping or eating or I'm working or how much quality time do I get before they're in school and then they have so much time of school and then pretty soon friends and activities, you know, are going to continue to cut down that time. So, I mean, it's not that much time before they're off to college and like I'm barely seeing them again. So 
having that time right now is actually very valuable and you've got to like shift your mindset in terms of what you want. So I think that when you break things down into like this, it can really change up the way that you look at things and shift your priorities because time really is the most limited thing that we have. Yeah, totally. And it's a very good uh, reminder. I think everybody can count their time left with relatives who are older or even like yeah, your kids who will not be kids forever, right? <laughs> They're not going to want to hang around with me, but they do right now. <laughs> you know, like as uh, we talked a lot about prioritizing things personal today, we didn't talk so much about priorities at work, but I think it's worth still mentioning that although you have prioritized your life accordingly and more in balance, that actually didn't prevent you from succeeding and achieving things at work, being successful, growing your companies, not at all. So what would you say, like step back and reprioritizing, spending more time out of work? How did that help you actually at work counterintuitively? I don't actually have that much time to work each day. Mm. Not like I did right out of college when I was, you know, grunt working. I'm probably in the office maybe 23, 25 hours a week. Mm. Now I'll still maybe be thinking about work because I just can't turn that off very well. <laughs> um, but I don't actually have a lot of time to do stuff. So the time that I do have, I have to be highly efficient. Mm -hmm. But on what? So what I like to do is I like to ask myself, if there's only one thing you can do between now and the end of the year, what is it? Mm. And you have to prioritize it. You have to figure out what that thing is. And maybe you can have two, maybe three things, but no more than three, because if you get more than that, like nothing's a priority. Yeah. You have to figure out what are these ideally one, maybe two, maybe three things. And then you just have to focus on actually doing those things. And if they are the right things, you're going to have much more of an impact. And it's not going to matter that you ignored some emails or slacks or delayed or whatnot. Yeah. You're doing these big things that are going to have a big impact and people will notice. Now, sometimes you do need to set some context with your boss and say, hey, you know, I wanted to do this exercise where I said, if there's just one thing that I can do that is the absolute most important thing to get done to move the business forward by the end of the year, This is what I think it is. Do you agree? And if your boss agrees, mm. well, that gives you a whole lot of leverage because now <laughs> if your boss comes and asks you to do something, you can be like, well, I could maybe do that, but we both agree that this is the most important thing. So do you think I should keep focusing on that or should I do this other thing? And more often than not, your boss, I know because I've done this, is going to be like, oh, Yeah, you know, you're right. You should probably keep working on that thing. We'll we'll save this for later or whatnot. And that can save a whole lot of interruptions, but you have to get them on board first. And at the end of the year, if you actually did that thing and you executed it well and it moved the business forward, people are going to start to notice and you're going to have even more leverage to continue to do this and prioritize your work. And sometimes a lot of those big projects of like accomplishing things tend to be less minutia doing and more high-level strategic thinking, especially when we're working in games or anything that requires that creative stuff because you just need space. Sometimes for me, working now is literally going to a, a park and hiking for three hours while I'm listening to an audiobook or just like thinking and I have epiphanies mm -hmm. and it might take several weeks before it comes, but that's the breakthrough and that was the thing that I was working on and needed to be working on. Yeah, so deep uh, work and deep thinking. 
I like the advice you give as well when you are not the boss and you're having the conversation with yourself, like in your case, <laughs> about what is the one thing to prioritize. You don't have to go just to your boss. You could go to the manager or even a little bit higher and just say like, mm. what is the most important thing that you think needs to be done so that we can do this this year and own that? Especially when you're talking to C-suite executives, they usually have several problems and things that they're dealing with. And if they can find one person that they can truly trust to take this thing and own it and do it really well, it can be a very powerful way of kind of jumping a few ladder hoops. Mm -hmm. It's also the way that I recommend people, if they're looking to get hired at a company, <laughs> approach it. Find the executive over the area you want to get in, figure out what their problems are before you talk to them, mm. figure out how you would solve that and execute on that and go talk to them and say, hey, I don't know if you're hiring right now, but I would love to come in and own this area. Do you have time for a quick chat to see if it might be something of interest? you're much more likely to get in and get hired than if you just send your resume over or something like that. Mm, I can imagine that this might be unusual, but that doesn't mean it's uh, bad or wrong, right? And at last, I'd like uh, us to do a little coaching exercise, uh, if you're open for it. Always. We talked about thinking of this vision of being on the deathbed, and I think not too much, but often about it. And I would like us to think what are the thoughts or the happy thoughts you would like to have when that happens that would let you go in peace, you know? A lot of it for me comes down to Christian faith. Like, do I believe that I'm saved and going somewhere? And am I leaving my family in a place where I believe that they're saved and also in a good place from faith? Then it would come down to family. Like, is my family in good health? Have I done a good job providing financially so that when I'm not here, they're going to continue to be in a good place, mm -hmm. probably some aspects of friendship. But I would say like those are going to be like the big, most important things on my mind. It's not really going to be about money or anything like that. I probably would also, depending on where I'm at <laughs> from a, a company standpoint, but I, I think a lot about employees and company health and defensive modes and long-term structure, because when you do run a company, <laughs> you have people's lives kind of at stake. And so I worry about them a lot and making sure that we're doing the right things so they can continue to get paid and live their lives that they want to live. So I'm sure there'd probably be some aspects of that potentially. Thanks. Uh, very nice. And for your priorities, in case they weren't clear, are very clear from all the discussion we have today and a lot around the family and personal. It's very uh, touching to hear. And I'll share mine as well. Something I'd like to have a thought as it happens is, have I been kind with everyone I interacted with, even, you know, sometimes not the most pleasant people that I could meet, could be a smile, could be empathy, could be giving my time, money or advice. And I think that has driven me in all my actions so far in everything I've done. So I think a lot about this each time I meet a new person or have an interaction with someone, like, do I leave this person a bit more positive after an interaction with me? And if I manage to do this most of the time in my life, I think I'd be happy to live that way. That's great. So on uh, those thoughts, and they are not to be dark thoughts, but positive thoughts to exactly live this life. So I uh, end this conversation on those uh, positive thoughts and uh, notes. And uh, thanks a lot, Tom, for sharing your experience, your uh, coaching tools, your exercises. And I hope as uh, concrete takeaways for the audience that you can take this out write them down as well in the episode notes. Thanks a lot, Tom. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. 
Thanks for listening to this latest episode of the Rise and Play podcast. I am trying to grow a community of conscious leaders across the industry and beyond. So if you want to join this movement, please share the podcast with other conscious leaders because we have so much more we can learn from each other. Also, please don't forget to follow the show so you don't miss out on future content. Every episode is packed with actionable insights that will help you improve your leadership skills now. And if you are interested in learning more on the topics that we discussed today, you can find more insights on riseandplay.io and there you will also find my free masterclass on conscious leadership. So have a great week and until the next time, 